cover crops, how you can use them effectively, how they can benefit your ground, how they can make you money, and how you can get past all these all reasons that you hear down at the corner diner. Well, you can't work, can't do cover crops around here. You know, I've never worked in this part of the world because farmers love to say that. The truth is, cover crops do work. They can work. They can make you money. They can improve your soil. And you're going to find out how in this episode of Cutting the Curve. Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast where we cut your learning curve with insights you can apply immediately to your farming operation. This episode is presented by Loveland Products. When it comes to crop inputs, you need products that are field proven to deliver both results and value. For more than 50 years, Loveland Products has been providing farmers with high performance, value-driven product solutions designed to maximize productivity on every acre. Visit lovelandproducts.com to see how their innovative products can help you farm more profitably. And now, here's your host, Damian Mason. Well, greetings and welcome to a fantastic and different sounding episode of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. Why is it different? Because we are bringing on one of our members. His name is James Hep. He is an Iowa farm guy who reached out to me a couple weeks ago and asked me about cover crops and if I wanted to maybe do a little bit more in on the subject of cover crops. And I said, absolutely, we need to talk more about cover crops. So James Hep is here and he's with Mike Evans. Evans Uh, as we sometimes call him. Mike Evans is an agronomy guy, and he works alongside Kelly Garrett with Integrated Ag Solutions in uh, an area in Iowa. And uh, Evans, as it turns out, was kind of a a helper on the cover crop program that James has instituted. So James has a good story about how he came into farming. He's got some really good results, some numbers. So that's what we're going to be talking about here today. James, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Damien. Okay, so you're uh, you got a cute, a unique story, real quickly, and we'll we'll do that in a future subject. But you are not one of the usual born into uh, farming operations. You're buying into a farming operation, and you did not come from uh, a farming background per se. Yep, that's right. Uh, one of my best friends in high school, his dad was looking at slowing down and retiring, and uh, neither one of his sons were interested in farming. So he wanted to know if I would maybe help him. Uh, and at the time, I kind of had a pretty uh, like a crop insurance job where I had a lot of free time during a uh, seasonal. And uh, so I started wait, helping. Wait, 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 the cover, the, the crop insurance people, right? I was saying, what, what? Hey, wait, man, you're upset the apple cart. Yeah, let's face it. You had a job that was about a 20 hour a week job selling crop insurance. Okay, we get it. Well, I was adjusting. So it's kind of feast or famine, you know, 10, you just 10 hours take- a week. Okay, 10 hours a week. Yeah. You had a 10 hour a week job. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed helping other farmers and uh, he just asked if I would be willing to help his dad out for a year and see if I liked it. If it went well, it could turn into more. So I said, sure, why not? Um, first year went really well. And then we just kind of snowballed from there and it started taking off and I started uh, crop sharing with him. And then um, last year was my first time taking over basically all the acres. Um, so that's kind of, I'm on year about three going on four right now. So but first generation, uh, my dad has a repair shop. So I've been around farming and agriculture, but uh, no direct ties to it. So Got it. So uh, we can talk more about the business on that later, but today we're talking about cover crops. That's, by the way, it's fascinating. And that is a subject that I think we should get into more down the road. Let's talk about cover cropping. Um, maybe there's a benefit that you came into it not biased by what grandpa did. Maybe there's a benefit that you came into it not biased by what 40 years of upbringing did to you because... I'm telling you, I've heard this again and again. Oh, cover crops, that might work over there. Won't work here. Farmers love to pretend that something would work in Ohio that wouldn't work in Wisconsin. Sometimes they're right, but sometimes it's also by township. Well, it works over there. I was like, it's three miles from here and you're pretending you can't do that here. 
I've heard again and again and again, you can't do cover crops. Can't do it up north. Don't have enough growing season. You are in northwest Iowa. So give me the scoop on cover cropping and how you got into it and how it works. Well, so the guy I farm with, he's he likes to try new things, and he was dabbling in cover crops. So when I started farming with him, he asked, hey, do you want to try some rye? So I researched a little bit, and like what you said, everybody says they don't work. Well, then I got to looking online. I see all these uh, cover crop experts are in Minnesota and Wisconsin. And uh, last time I looked on the map, that stuff was a long ways north of me. So I was like, why can't that work here? Um, and then not to mention every winter, I see all our local ditches full of dirt from erosion. And uh, I got to thinking, boy, that's our biggest asset, just blowing away in the ditches. So I'm like, I should really try something. So the first year I, we tried 80 acres of uh, soybeans planted into rye. Um, didn't really know what we were doing, just kind of shooting from the hip. Uh, worked out really good. It was a large field and you could not tell a yield difference. Um, but the water hemp back then we were non-GMO soybeans. So we didn't have a lot of herbicide options, but there was virtually no water hemp in the 80 acres where the rye was. So once I seen that, I thought I was kind of onto something. Um, and that's kind of where it started. And I just started uh, every year, add more and more. Um, this year, I'm about 300 acres worth of rye. Uh, next year, I hope to have every acre cover crop. But mainly erosion and weed suppression was my biggest thing I was trying to tackle, I guess, with cover crop. Not to mention everybody says it can't work and uh, everybody just rips everything really black, which probably works for everybody. But I just didn't want to do that and have all the extra costs like we'll go into later. Yeah, I won't get into the money about that also. Mr. Evans, uh, and, and I know that Mike and I have talked about this, I'm a frustrated wannabe agronomist back when I was a kid, ninth in the nation FFA soil judging in the in, in the uh, Oklahoma soil judging analysis. Um, I, I tell the people this, James, as often as possible for street cred, if you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, I started seeing this back in the 80s. And I remember, let's talk about the erosion thing first. I find it asinine that right now we're paying fifteen to twenty thousand dollars an acre for a piece of farm ground, and then we're going to go out there in October and plow it up and expose it to the elements so it can blow away all winter, and like you said, fill the ditches. Um, this isn't. This is literally not dirt cheap. It is dirt expensive, and you really got to question how 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 unwilling to change you are that you're going to pay 20 grand for an acre of something, then literally go out and devalue it. That's what I would think of. Is that the first thing? Am I thinking right, Evans? Soil erosion is the first reason we should cover crop? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, soil health, that whole gamut of soil health, erosion, all that stuff is a big deal. And um, protecting that asset is, is, you know, it's a high value asset anymore um, from when it was when my dad started farming 40 years ago. So, um, yeah, we want to protect it. We want to do everything to conserve it and help it produce for the farm. Well, in medicine, Mike, they say uh, there's an old thing. First, do no harm. In other words, you know, you can rather than worry about fixing a broken leg, let's not break the leg. Right. Um <laughs> Doesn't it seem like before we can get down the road of soil health, we should start with not letting the soil wash away? I mean, that's where I just go with it. And and you guys obviously are mostly no-till there at Garrett Land and Cattle for that very reason. You guys have some slopes, very pronounced slopes compared to what I'm used to. And it seems to me that you, oh, should, you should start with erosion. What's that, James? They're mountains, They're mountains to me. <laughs> I'm really flattered. When I first showed up and met Kelly Garrett in the summer of 2021 out there, uh, I looked around 
And I said, if there was, I said, any one of your fields, if it was in um, my part of the world in northeastern Indiana, we'd stick a chairlift on it and call it a resort. I mean, it's, uh, it's <clears throat> okay. Um, so we got the erosion thing. That was one of your main reasons. You don't have a big sloping problem, though, James. So as opposed to where Garrett's are, it wasn't because of the sloping that you were worried about it washed away. You still have erosion just because of that's what happens when you expose your soil to the wind for six months and rain. Yeah. Yeah, that was my biggest concern, um, even with the wind and all that. But mainly I just wanted to work on weed control because with non-GMO, my biggest thing I could use was Flexstar. And I'm sure everybody has plenty of good experiences with Flexstar. And sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. Um, and it was just, I mean, I had guys calling me saying, hey, how come the north side of the field has zero water hemp and weeds and the other side of the field has, you know, a normal amount of weed? Like there was a line. And it was the same variety soybeans. Um, so I had people driving by at 40 mile an hour noticing differences. Um, so I guess, and then the, the monetary amount, that's always good too, to like save money and, and then have better performance, which is kind of rare to be able to save money and have better weed suppression. Okay, so if you think about the benefits of, of cover cropping, you you went out there because you'd been reading about it. And the guy that's your operator that you're buying into say, is, is an experimental person, not, not fixed in his ways. And he said, yeah, let's do some of this. So you went out there and did it. Was What was the primary objective? Soil erosion, uh, improving soil biology, weed suppression. I know you can say all of them. Which Give, give me the ranking, A, B, C. At the time, I think A would be the weeds because we were just starting to have a lot of water hemp issues like a lot of guys are. Yep. And then... Yep. Then the next one in line would be kind of a almost like tillage. Uh, you know, like I said, I was being a young farmer, I wanted to save costs on tractors and all that. Um, I can be a lot more efficient. You know, the roots on the rye plant will go way deeper than any piece of iron will ever go. And uh, it just seems to help your water infiltration and all that. So uh, that would be my next next point would just be uh, sheer economics, saving money on equipment I didn't need. All right, Mr. Evans. Um, there's going to be people that say, what about the cost when you, when you're making an extra trip across the field, James willingly admits I was doing this to save money, but then I got to go out there. I got to buy the cover crop seed. That's not free. And I got to do the hours, the time, whether it's his man hours or hired help or whatever. And then you got the wear and tear on the machinery plus the diesel. Can you make that back? Yeah, easily. I mean, if you know where James is at, um, there in central Iowa, that, that a lot of that's flat black, like he talked about. So a lot of guys do like a lot of deep tillage. So that's a, a disc gripper. It's probably average is about 12 to 15 foot wide. You know, you're going eight inches deep and you're probably going five mile an hour and you're burning a ton. It takes a lot of horsepower, which equates to a lot of fuel. So there's a lot of expense in running that ripper across to, to break up that soil. Where you're doing cover crops, um, taking larger swaths, quicker passes, smaller equipment typically, and there's a lot less expense just in that, those two comparisons right there. So um, that would be the cost savings up front just on that alone. What about the, the idea of weed suppression? We hear about it, but I never thought it was a primary uh, objective of using cover crops. And then there was the issue of, well, by the time you kill the cover crop off, you have to, because to get your next crop going, your real, your primary crop, you're going to go out there and you're going to give opportunities for other stuff to come in. So talk about the reeds, weed suppression stuff without just the weed, the, the example you said about water hemp, all that. Tell me a little bit about the, the reality of that or how it works agronomically. Well, 
I think it doesn't take a huge stand of rye. I'm normally putting down 45 pounds to the acre. Um, just depends how I mean, there's a lot of ways you can apply it, but uh, 45 pounds to the acre, I think uh, it's just, is it allopathy? I think they call it with the corn. Isn't that what it is? Like where it helps with weeds, uh, like the bigger weed seeds, they just aren't able to get through it. The rye is, uh, it's almost like a herbicide, I guess, in the soil, uh, for lack of better terms. Well, you'd create kind of a, a layer there. And protection almost. Yeah. Residues. Yeah, and it's yeah, just amazing. Yeah, outer ovens, you create kind of a layer. You mean just, you're talking about a thatch layer that is then becomes hard to permeate for weed for weeds then to germinate in? Yep, yeah. It creates a, a layer there that can help it. Okay. Yeah, and they just they just don't germinate. I mean, that's it's I I didn't think it would work, and I was proved wrong. So that's why I was began to run with it. Yeah. By the way, forty five pounds per acre to the person that and you're using rye. Your only cover crop right now is rye. Yep. And that's fine. But then let's go with the other thing. You just said you're using 45 pounds per acre. Um, is that a lot? Is that a little? I don't know. Uh, Evan? Um, that's what we use here at Kelly's. Uh, we put on too much and it, that becomes a problem um, because you get too, <laughs> too good of establishment and it's hard to kill. Um, and then you put on two less, then you don't get as good coverage either. So typically, I think, you know, 40, 45 pounds is pretty standard, at least in our geography. All right. Let's talk about then uh, the things you've learned already. You're in your third year, second year, third year of doing this, Mr. Hep. Uh, the big thing is just get out there and do it. Um, it's kind of uncomfortable because a lot of times you really don't know what you're doing. You know, it's not traditional, you know, plant spray, spray, harvest. Um, so you got to get out there with a shovel. You got to keep an eye on it. Uh, you got to manage it. Um, so the big thing, I, I just keep trying stuff, take good notes and then keep building on it. Um, that's basically what I've learned and, uh, find good people to work with like Evans and other guys that are cover cropping and see what they've done. Um, do me a favor and just go ahead and walk us through the entire process so far. Soybeans come off October, uh, 11th. I don't know. I'm just going to guess here. Uh, something like that. Right. First week of October. Mm -hmm. So for, for my cover crop only, I, I put it in my corn stalks. So either I'll do it in standing corn with my haggy. I have an old cedar rigged on the haggy to plant it like in mid-August in a standing crop. Or you can get an airplane. I've done it both ways. Um, then you harvest the corn crop. And by then, you normally got, I don't know, three-inch blades of uh, rye, which you'll see in my photos I sent you. Um, and then you just let it grow through the winter till it freezes and gets cold and it kind of goes dormant. And then the springtime, once it starts warming up, it takes off again. I try and plant my soybeans when it's about six to eight inches tall. Uh, it's, it's a really great seed, but it's like planting across turf almost. And then I normally wait about two weeks and I try and get it knee high to above your knee and then I'll go out and terminate it. And that's kind of my steps. Um, okay. I thought, doing, I thought you were doing it after you took the soybeans off. So that's why my question was that way. By the way, if you're listening to this and most people do listen, but we have several that view, remember the videos are always released on extremeag.farm. So if you're listening and you're saying, what's he talking about photos right now, we're putting up photos uh, in the production. So you can see James, uh, James photo, photographic uh, results of what he does. Okay. When you are going through there and the stuff's three inches tall, uh, aren't you tearing up a lot that we've already seeded when you are harvesting your corn? Doesn't a lot of what you've already seeded then get uh, all torn to hell? Um, not really. Like on the end rows, it will a little bit, but then it's still early on and you have some good growing season and it kind of reseeds itself. Um, so as long as you don't get stuck or get crazy, I've never really seen a bunch of dead patches from turning around or anything like that. 
Okay, then the answer you just said was then you're going and planting into uh, soy uh, corn stalks, no till, and it's got it's got cover crop rye growing up in it, and you're yep. going through there and planting no till 15 inch row, uh, 30 inch row soybeans, no till 30 inch row into that, and you're doing it usually that rye if you're planting your soybeans uh, end of April, let's say. Yeah, I do my soybeans first normally. So, you know, like third week, April, I'll get out there and plant beans for a week and then I'll go and it works out good for my time schedule because then I'll go and then plant corn for a week or two and get my corn sprayed up. And then by the time I'm done with that, I'll go back to beans and terminate it. And depending on the weather, I'll get my growth that I'm wanting. Um, the growth is important. All right. So the, the person that's listening is going to say, wait a minute, you just told me that all that rye prevents uh, weeds from germinating. But you're planting soybeans into this. How the hell do your soybeans germinate when weeds can't germinate? How is it the soybean? You can't have it both ways. That's a great question. That's what I was thinking, too, the first year. But they come through it. Um, I know that you guys have a lower rye rate just for your corn. Yeah. Um, and I've heard a lot of guys will maybe do like 20 pounds of rye in corn just to help with it. But I, I don't know if the soybean is just a bigger seed, you know, compared to weed seed. And it has more energy to get through it. But soybeans i've never seen an issue with emergence i mean it's crazy when you do it the first time you'll think like what am i doing man this is the craziest thing i've ever done um but it works i don't <laughs> not saying it's foolproof but it's really worth trying and it's uh i don't want to say it's hard to screw up but it's worth trying <laughs> you don't want to say it's hard to screw up okay so um we're going to hear a little bit more about the economics and numbers before we do that i want to remind the listener that you know what uh, right now, they're sitting at Garrett Land and Cattle in the offices, and it was in that very office that uh, I was talking to Kelly Garrett a year and a half ago, and he said, you know what, Damien, for 2022, one of my biggest objectives is going to be stress reduction. I would think that we have way enough fertility in our soils. We have too much stress on our plants. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, I think stress reduction and making a healthier plant is the way to go. And you know what? He uses products from Agrison to help make this happen. So when you think about it, a healthy plant uh, can absorb all the nutrients you're putting out there. An unhealthy plant, it doesn't matter if it's unhealthy, the nutrients do it no good. So stress reduction is a primary objective of Garrett Land and Cattle. It helped him ring the bell even in a very bad year because you know what? 2022 was a dry year and it was that very objective, that very push to reduce stress on his plants that helped him have a banner year. So Agrison products can help you reduce stress. See your nutrient dealer for more products that can help you reduce stress on your crop and get big yields even in a bad year. Okay. The economics of all of this. Um, before we get into the economics, I guess I got another question. Well, why wouldn't you then, if this is such a cool thing, why don't you go and uh, put rye into soybean stubble? Seems like that'd be even easier. You don't have to fly it on. Soybeans come off earlier. Go out there, plant rye first week of October, and it's still going to germinate and get three inches of growth. Why are you not putting soy rye cover crop on all your soybean acres? Uh, with with going to corn, it's a little bit more, you have to pay a little more attention to it and be more careful because you can get a large yield drag if it's not terminated right or if it's too thick of a stand where soybeans are i mean i call them the comeback kid they they pretty much go through anything where corn is very finicky um so like i said earlier about like uh garrett and those guys they kind of have a lower was like 20 pounds of rye and then other yeah, stuff yeah they're running a blend so so with corn i i just i didn't want to bite off more than i can chew so i've been trying to i don't want to say master but i've been trying to get my soybean cover crop figured out. And uh, for next year, I am starting to add cover crops into my corn acres rotation. 
Yeah, um, which, for the which, which means putting it in after the soybeans come off. Well, let's face it, yep. corn stalks do a good job of protecting the soil. In fact, we have too much fodder. That's why we talk about, you know, products like Evans and I have talked about on, on the, the Cutting the Curve podcast about, you know, uh, extract and about things like this that, you know, rot that fodder down. You've got soybean ground out there that sits pretty well wide open, even with no tillage. So it seems to me that we would want to get better at that. Is that your big objective? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Next year, I'll be moving into that more with like an oats and a rye mixture um, right. to get speaking going. Of, speaking of an oats and a rye mixture, at Garrett Land and Cattle, they started producing their own oats to have. So they grow a few acres of oats so that they have their own oats to go and put on the uh, acres. What is your mix, Mr. Evans? What are you putting on as a cover crop? And you don't do it on all your acres, but on some of your acres, what are you putting out there? Oh, we'll put a blend of... Uh about 25 pounds of oats and about 20 pounds of rye and then we'll throw in a oh a nitrogen fixer like a hairy vetch or um uh, what was the other one a clover mix yeah else like else like white clover or something like this yeah. we're trying a few things okay so if you're talking about putting on uh those things one of the big deals of regenerative agriculture, James uh book I read dirt to soil he talks a lot about putting out seven different kinds of uh, cover crop because then they work in unison to create all kinds of more soil biology. You're putting out just rye. When are you going to start branching out and doing three things in the mix or four things and putting in a, a hairy vetch or a legume like that? Hopefully this summer going into next fall is where I'm going to start adding more diversity to my mix to help with my soil biology underground. Um, that, that's my goal. Um, I've heard I've heard too many people that start too big too fast and they have bad results and they just don't do it. You know that might start off with seven way mix and I didn't want to didn't want to be that guy. So that's why I kind of started simple and I'm advancing slowly have, but surely. Have you made any mistakes? Oh yeah, <laughs> right, every day. Tell, tell us the mistakes you've made on cover crops. You're if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying, right? I yeah, like yeah. I like it. You know what? An old banker told me if you haven't made any bad loans, you missed out on a lot of good ones. And I always say, you know what? If you, if you if you haven't failed, you're not trying hard enough. You know, I used to think in sports, if you don't get hurt once in a while, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. But anyway, uh, those were the old days. Tell me the mistakes you've made and what you learned from as it relates to cover crops. Uh, with mistakes, just applicating. Um, I think a lot of guys, including myself, we don't make it a priority in the fall. And I think moving forward, it's such an important part of my operation. It's going to be just as important as harvest or like planting a crop. So I need to move it up my list of priorities a lot more. Uh, in the past, I might have been a few weeks later than what I wanted. Um, so if I would have been sooner, it would have been a lot better growth going into the winter to maybe help protect from all the, the winds. Um, second one would be just applicating once again, uh, maybe getting thin spots. I've kind of used uh, used equipment that's kind of duct taped together, so to speak, to start out with. And there's been times where I had patches like the size of a semi where it just didn't grow or the seeding didn't work. Um, which so I've learned that better consistency, um, along with termination too. Um, if if you don't get it terminated and it gets growing too much, it will hurt yield. Um, I haven't had any large scale issues, but there's been areas where I missed the spot terminating with the Roundup, and uh, those beans might have been 40 bushel instead of the 60 bushel, um, and it was because of that. Um, and I guess my last mistake, or most recent one from last year, was I uh, I've heard a lot of people say you can skip your residuals if you uh, have a good cover crop. Well, I was always too chicken to pull the pin and not have residuals. And uh, two years ago, I did area, I did check strips and you could not tell the difference from where I spent the, all the extra money on residuals and where I didn't have it. 
Um, and last year, you're I talking about, you're talking about herbicide with the soil residual uh, capability. And you're saying that good cover crops mean that you can cut back on chemistry. Yep. Yeah. I'm currently not running any residuals, which is a large savings. And uh, so by, by doing that in the past, so it'll stunt your growth. Cause like I said, I was kind of chicken to do it. And uh, so I sprayed it and it actually stunted the growth. So everywhere I sprayed the residual, the rye didn't grow near as much, but where I didn't, it's like it, the rye was probably six, eight inches taller. So I've learned to do not spray any residual, no matter what in the spring, uh, because you just won't get your rye. It just stop, it stays green, but it doesn't grow anymore. And you need to get the, the tonnage per acre. So when it does get terminated and fall over, you have that nice ground cover. Yeah. So do you ever, not only do you miss it because your soybeans get stunted, do you ever have it where it gets so big, then it, it becomes too much of a thatch and all of a sudden your soybean plant, plants are like crowded in there and, and it, it strangles them? Uh, it looks like it, but man, you get down and crawl around with your pocket knife digging around and those beans, they just come through it though. I don't know if it's just for all the, the roots and the soils real nice and mellow. Um, I, I don't know. And my population on soybeans, I've been dropping every year also. Um, so it's, but it's still, I still have like a lot of guys are planting 140,000 and I'm more like 115, 120,000 pop for seed. Yeah. And you're saving, um, you're saving money on seed right there. And you're sitting in an office yeah. where this whole low, low population soybean thing, uh, it gets a lot of attention around with Evans and Kelly. Um, real quickly then you talked about uh, mistakes and you said something really smart there. You said maybe people jumped the gun and they decided to go with seven way mixes or they decided to do too much on their cover cropping too soon before they really had anything figured out or perfected. And then they got pissed off and said, this doesn't work. See, I, grandpa was right. You shouldn't do this. And you're pretty smart. You're kind of going in increments like this. Is that the reason that others don't? You think it's because they've tried and it was, and it was a boondoggle? I don't think most of them have ever tried, but I want your perspective. Uh, I think there's a lot of ways to look at it. I think some guys will just look at like the cost share availability. And I've literally had guys come up to the farm and be like, hey, can you uh, seed this field down? And, and the first thing I ask them, well, what are you looking for? Are you looking for the weed suppression just to make sure they're doing the right thing? Well, I think I can make a buck or two. Like that's just what they want to do. You know, if you can get a $15 cost share and it costs them 10 bucks, they want to make five bucks. You're talking about so, through an FSA, through an FSA conservation program or anything. So some guys do that and they truly just don't care. They don't care if it works. Um, and just like anything, if you want it to work, you can make it work. So you got to have that mentality. Of, I'm going to make it work. I'm going to figure it out. Um, and then, like you said, guys just get too gung ho and hop in there. And then the third thing would be, uh, just management of, you know, there's uh, so many generations in farms, like you've talked about in prior podcasts, you know, like where grandpa is still in charge and uh, no, no way. We're not going to let that kid do that. Um, you know, so they, they're really not allowed to try stuff or they just don't think outside the box or so I think that's another reason why. Evans, why don't more farmers use cover crops when we've already proven you can do it in Wisconsin for God's sake. So pretending it's a climatological issue is not the reason. Why don't others do cover crops? Well, I think James hit on some of those points. It, there's just a lot that goes into it. Everybody's different and reasons why not to. Um, I think changing the operation sometimes is is a changes over the, the farmers. You know, some of these guys have been farming for years, and, and uh, they're a little risk averse. I like to say so. Uh, that's probably one of the bigger ones. Or you know, we are we're all probably guilty of it at some point. Is uh, they love watch the neighbor do it. 
<laughs> then they don't know the whole story. They just watch from the road and then they have some issues out there. And then that's the first thing they'll point out too, is like, well, that looks like it didn't work, you know, and, and just being open to, to accepting failure, like, Hey, it's all right. If we make mistakes, let's just keep learning and keep doing And you know, part of like what extreme ag is all about is these, we make mistakes just to learn from, cause that's when you're, that's your biggest teacher, right? Is failure. So I think there's a lot of that. Um, and education, I still, still think is a big piece of it, you know, understanding, you know, James does his due diligence about learning about it, but a lot of guys to the point of the conservation, they look at the conservation as their guideline to learning about cover crops instead of looking at other avenues and stuff. What you is, mean like as I mean, a, getting a payment from FSA? Yeah, and, and go follow, you know, learning from them or whatever, which is a good source, but you also it's just like going to any other place or going to a going to a local co-op to get some marketing advice. It's probably, you know, you need to diversify your portfolio, I guess. So you need to go look out and talk about other things, right? You know, talk to other people and people have had successes. Obviously it works for James. There's other people that have had successes with it too. You know, there's people all across the country that have as work so there's a well, there's something I, I, to it i think we've got a really good thing that the people that listen to extreme ag are very forward thinking and then there's a whole bunch of the the strata below that that they find whatever reinforces their preconceived preconceived beliefs well you see and i just heard somebody i just heard about a guy out there in kansas and cover crops lost him money so whatever they want to you know what i mean but we don't have that here our people generally are doing let's talk about the money economics money james you got to make money yeah, so uh, I guess I don't. I'm trying. Not, I'm like everybody. I don't enjoy buying chemical and chemistry every year, and uh, all the spend all your summer in the sprayer. So that was another thing that I really liked about cover crop. Um, so for me, like I said earlier on, I'm I'm skipping residuals and uh, doing more contact herbicide. Um, so my cover crop, like for my, okay, I should back up a little bit. So my cover crop herbicide pass. So I'll start off with the termination, which would be my roundup. And then I will wait where most guys in my area will. Did do you tell me about the cost of the seed? The seed? Yeah. Oh, no, we didn't cover that yet. 40, okay. 45 pounds per acre of rye. You know, it didn't, yeah. it didn't fall out of the sky. Yeah. So anywhere you'll have anywhere from 10 to 12 bucks an acre because it's roughly a quarter per pound. All right. Um, let's, do, let's do 12 bucks. Let's just figure on the high side. 12 bucks an acre on the seed. Okay, go ahead. Yep. And then for application costs, like I said, my duct tape rig was, doesn't cost as much, but I went off Iowa State Custom, so they figured $12 for application. And I think an airplane is pretty close to that, isn't it? 13 or 15, depending on where you're at. Yeah. So just trying to be fair. So so you're going to, I figured I had 24, 25 bucks an acre in my cover crop. Yep. Okay. So, so that gets seeded in the fall, like we talked about. And then come springtime. I'll go and plant it like we talked about when it's six, eight inches tall. And then I'll come out and terminate it with my Roundup Pass uh, for termination. And most guys, I'd say 95% of guys around me will do two post-herbicide passes in their soybeans. Um, so when everybody else is out doing their first post-pass, I don't. I wait about another two weeks, maybe three, and do one post-pass. And I'm done, like a late post-pass. Yep. So right there, I'm saving a post-pass. Well, basically, it's 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 the same thing. You had to go out and spray and kill off the rye, but yep. you're but you didn't have to do uh, an extra post application. So you still are going and driving over the field twice with a sprayer, and you think everybody else is as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody else will drive over the field with a sprayer three times, or I'll do it twice. 
but I will have that pass in the fall applying the cover crop like we talked about. Yep. Yep. So, yep. But my chemistry is where the big savings is. Um, like for my cover crop and herbicide costs, I'm around $76, $77 an acre. And that's including $8 of pass and the $12 application fee. So I'm making sure I'm counting my costs for running the sprayer. Okay, so you um, keep up with the total of everything with herbicide, cost of the seed, and then paying for application, even if you use custom, because you said there's some Iowa State numbers and you were real close to that. Yep. 76 bucks. Yep. Yep. So 76 bucks. And then um, Evans and I kind of got together and looked at what the average Joe would be spending. And, you know, they're going to have probably closer to $128 or more per acre. Yep. And at the end of the day, we're still getting the same results. Um, but I have, I feel like I have a lot more benefits with soil biology and like my tillage with the roots and all that. Yeah, so you just, you just saved 50 bucks, you saved 50 bucks and you didn't cost yourself any yield. And then you've got a net benefit of soil health and soil erosion protection. And also we, we are learning about when there's living roots in there longer, it keeps soil biology going. And that's where we're really talking about, right? Yeah. And who wouldn't want to skip that post pass in the summer? I mean, yeah. go to the lake, you know, <laughs> park the sprayer. Uh, and I guess another cost we talked and, about. Let me talk about that. Mike Evans never, every time I come to Iowa, he's working like 14 hour days. He doesn't get to go to the lake. I don't know who, who is, who's the person who gets to go to the lake, Evans. You're never at the lake. You're always working. And I'm always there when I, and I'm working. <laughs> Part of it, Dean. Yeah. Another, another cost that we haven't really covered. If you're doing a traditional herbicide plan, you're going to have tillage like what Evans talked about. So if you go off Iowa State, you know, so your corn in the fall, you're going to disc rip it. And then in the spring, you're going to hit it with a field cultivator. So according to Iowa State, that's almost $40 worth of cost right there that I also do not have. Yeah. And yeah, so the cost that I showed. We just, we just ratcheted up to $90 difference and same yield. Yeah. And that's not figuring in any cost share either. By the so way, guys, we'd, we'd also say, say wait a second, James, we'd also say, well, yeah, but you had to do the work. Well, yeah, but you weren't sitting in a ripper. <laughs> Yeah. And, and as Evans pointed out, the Ripper, those things, are, you're digging down, to, you know, to China. So you can only go like 12 feet or 15 feet at a time across the, uh, all your acres. It's slow as can be. OK, go ahead. Yeah. And then, like I said, I, that those numbers were before any cost share. And later on, I can get into more cost share. So conservatively, you can probably take 15 bucks off my cost. So, like I said, you're. And that's through, that, that's through an NRCS program. Yeah, there's private groups too, like with PFI and like your county and stuff like that. And then with like your crop insurance, if you're not in a government program, you can get $5 off an acre there for cover crops if you document it with them. With who? So like with your cover crops, like with FSA, if you go and tell them you planted cover crops, if you're not in like one of their $15 cost share, like my county, most counties, they'll give you up to 15 bucks for like 160 acres worth. Okay. If you're not in the program, any acres, you can then qualify for like the $5 off of crop insurance. So you can get a lot of your seed costs back. So we just, know. we might've just gotten to where there's more than 150, maybe up to $200 of gain on this. And then you also done the right thing for your ground. Yep. And I have one less tractor sitting in the shed, that 500 horse tractor that I don't need, which that's a huge deal for me being a young farmer with not a lot of money. So, yeah, I like it. What about if you did put a three, four, five, seven way mix? Are you going to be having more dollars per acre on the seed or is that negligible? Um, I think if I add more to it, I'll probably take away the rye 
Yeah. So it might, I mean, I might gain a couple bucks, but I don't think it'll be crazy. But if I add to it, I'll be getting more in the end. So it'll be a good value, I think. Yeah. Well, the nitrogen fixation might be the thing yeah. like Mike talked about. Uh, okay. My last question for you is looking ahead. Uh, what do you see looking ahead? Cover cropping. Because I've been saying for a long time, we should be doing this and it still hasn't caught on. Are we going to be doing it more? I'll go to Evans first. You, you've been talking. Evans, are we going to be doing more? Are there going to be more acres cover cropped in 2023, four, five than there ever have been? Or is this some, because it's failed to catch on for the last 15 years. That's that's the magic eight ball, right? I, I, I would hope so. I would hope guys start trying and dabbling in it and get more educated on it. Um, you know, James and I have had discussions about, you know, if we don't start being proactive, we're gonna have to start being reactive, right? When do mandates show up? When does when does a hand get held to or given to us about what we need to do out here? And if we're ahead of the game, tend to be a lot better off than when we're getting told what to do, right? So look at Temple. I mean, with all the rules yeah. and restrictions. Yeah, out in Maryland. And and that's a good point. I have predicted, and I believe this could be as, as soon as the 2023 farm bill. This whole climate thing, this whole environmental thing, some of it is frankly <laughs> bullshit, <laughs> but some of it is absolutely, and, and some, but some of it is absolutely got proof behind it. I think that to be eligible for FSA programs moving forward, you will have to be doing certain things. And like you said, it's probably way better to have been to know how to do this before it becomes mandatory. Yeah, right? it's coming. Yeah. So James, you think it's coming? You think F You think in the, in five years they're gonna say, "Well, you know what? Now I have to do what James has been doing for eight. Well, I hope not, because no one likes to see mandates. But I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, because like I said, Temple is just a great, great uh, showing of that. I mean, it's it's coming. I think I just don't know how it can't be, especially when you see people driving by and seeing all our ditches full of dirt this winter. I mean, I'm 33, and this was the worst winter with dirt i've ever seen i mean it was just awful like i think my house is going to need power wash from the dirt and the nearest field was like 400 feet a neighbor's field i mean it's got like a black tint to my tan house now i mean it, it's really sad it, uh, is sad. It, it is sad to see and what i don't i don't understand how these operators don't see the numbers how they don't see the, the numbers when, when you put it that way last thing on the way out the door james what do you got for me you shared me your numbers you shared your pictures you shared your experience uh you're going to be doing more of it now the next person is going to yeah. say well, why don't you do every acre well, that's my goal. Okay. Yep. I'm doing the baby steps. I think next year I'll be doing all my bean acres and I'll do probably a third to half my corn acres. And I'll keep working with Evans on like how they're doing it. Um, get into some of these carbon markets too. We didn't touch on. Um, I think if you'll qualify for more, right. With like what Kelly does. Yeah. So that's another Avenue. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to put on like a field day at my place in Rockwell city just to get people to come out and uh, like come out and look in it and walk in the field, and look at it and, get a shovel and just see it instead of just driving by at 45. Uh, I'm hoping to put on something. You're going to invite the townspeople out to judge you. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Might as well. <laughs> I'll probably get the pork producers to grill something. So I'll get a good attendance, you know, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll come if you feed them. So <laughs> yeah. And you'll get even more people judging you and saying yeah. what you're talking about. Yes. I can. Only yeah. um, I'm excited for you. By the way, uh, are you still a crop? Are you still a crop insurance adjuster in addition to your farming? Uh, the uh, I'm an agent. I'm a full-time private agent for crop insurance and farm full-time. Yep. Got it. And um, what's the number? Okay. 1400 acres. Is that how much you're farming? Yep. And how many acres are going to be under cover crop in 2023? Uh, about 400. Okay. And then your plan is by another couple of years, all of them. Yep. Good. 
fantastic his name is james hep you saw the picture if you didn't see the pictures go and check it out on our videos um and if you want to see more of this kind of stuff let us know because we are here to make sure that you are knowledgeable uh mike evans integrated ag solutions uh working alongside kelly garrett james hep both guys in iowa i'm damian mason thanks for being here until next time this is extreme ag's cutting the curve that's a wrap for this episode of extreme ag's cutting the curve but there is plenty more available by visiting extremeag.farm. For over 50 years, farmers have turned to the proven lineup of crop inputs offered by Loveland Products. From seed treatments, plant nutrition, adjuvant, and crop protection products, Loveland has the complete lineup to keep your farming operation productive and most importantly, profitable. Check out lovelandproducts.com to learn more.